When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Your Money, Your Life podcast, episode 164. We are on episode 164 of the podcast this week. The weather is getting, it's officially spring. The weather is getting nicer in New York and hope it's getting nicer wherever you're at. Make sure if you listen to the podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, five-star rate and review this pod. We do this every week. We have a lot to discuss this week. A lot um, is going on. So We'll begin right into it in a second, so make sure you do that in our pre-show notes. But let's get on into a little bit what's going on in the market um, and a little bit about what's going on just overall in the economy. So the big thing that we saw recently was um, the Fed. We had the banking crisis, which we talked about last week, um, and that is still, still happening. We'll talk about another bank that went down very, very shortly. But we also saw that the Fed um, chose to increase uh, interest rates by 25 basis points or one fourth of a percent um, in their most recent FOMC meeting. Um, And that was, you know, met in the market by traders, you know, going the other way, selling off some stocks a little bit, uh, but they're still fighting inflation, which is what I predicted um, on CNBC and last week on the pod, I believe. Um, So. They're still fighting inflation and inflation still a problem, even in the midst of this banking crisis that we have, right? Where we talked about how banks had trades, which were long duration bonds that were held to maturity for pretty low interest rates that have lost a lot of value because interest rates have hiked so much over the past year. Um, So Fed still said that they think that they may have to be more careful raising rates because of the banking crisis that they they have going on, right? So that we have an economy. So market right now, the futures are up, but yesterday it was kind of a zigzag. Um, The market zigged, then zagged, then finally pulled back. Um, Again, it's going to be really interesting. It's still a patient game to see what happens long-term because it's a careful needle that the Fed pretty much has to apply, giving what's going on in inflation. They don't want hyperinflation. They don't want to stop that fight, but they also don't want to raise rates so much that they they bring they slow down growth considerably where banks don't want to lend um, and the banks that are in trouble exasperates those problems. You're seeing Main Street um, have it being harder for consumers. You're seeing that it's you know, Main Street starting to lay off and do different things jobs. Right? So this is a really, really tough and a lose-lose situation. As I said, on CNBC on Friday for the Federal Reserve Bank, um, but that's that's really what's gonna you know decide what where we go from here. Um, and so that was a big decision. We'll have some more data come out, uh, but the markets are still digesting that information, right? They're still digesting where they think the Fed, when they think the Fed will pause. Is it going to be another twenty five basis point rate hike um, um, coming up in a few quarter in a few months here? So that's the big big news. Um, when it comes to the market. And so that's still playing out in real time. Meanwhile, you have different currencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum starting to pump. Bitcoin's prices pumped 65% this year, while Ethereum is up over 40%. Um, and that's over the past month alone, BTC has jumped 15%. 
And it's being fueled, some believe, by the bank failures, right? If you have a system, a monetary economic system that people feel is unsafe or shaky or they're worried about it, they look for another asset class, right? They're going to look for another asset class where they can barter and trade. And Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum and cryptocurrency as a whole seems to be where a lot of people are flocking as their prices are starting to rise again, right? Bitcoin's creeping up on 30,000 um, and it's still been quiet, right? It's not been the talk of, of the town as of late, um, but things have started to move um, you know, upwards for the cryptocurrency world. Um, so it's really, really going to be um something to keep watch on. Uh, watch on again. We've said that there'll be a hike. There's really going to be a couple areas for investors to be be safe, but also on the tail end on the real growth, growth different areas is growth as well. Um, and more risk risk taking areas is another way for people to do it. So um, it's really, really going to be interesting to see that. Netflix, Netflix ad tier hits 1 million subscribers um, and the streamers bets on games and blockbuster movies to lure fresh eyes. So we talked about it many months ago, but Netflix added an ad tier for a lower price um, and it's, you know, cheaper, but it allows you to, you know, you'll have ads within your streaming shows and movies. Um, it's $7, $7 a month subscription and it does hit a million users in two months after launching. Um, yeah, and they had, they had trouble, you know, not too long ago where they lost their, they, their user growth slowed, um, but they seem to have been fighting back. They seem to be punching back, um, in January, 19% of new Netflix subscribers chose its ad tier. The ad adoption is slower than that of its rivals, but it is there. So, um, some to watch out for, for those that have Netflix and you know, what good shows are out right now. There are a few, we, we watched a couple, um, but that's something to keep your eye on uh, as far as Netflix goes. In more news, um, in Borden, businesses embrace the whenever economy as remote workers powers midday golfing. Oh, midday golfing. Yeah, there's a, the remote work thing is here to stay. The remote work is here to stay. Snack fact, for those people who have been watching um, March Madness, I've been watching it, love it. Uh, I, I never watched college basketball during the season, but I've been watching this March Madness more than ever. But there's men's college basketball players. They're earning twice as much as their female counterparts through NILDs and what and whatever whatever have you. Do you think that's right? Do you think that's wrong? Message below and let me know what you think. Let's move forward. All right. So we talked about this last week. They're trying to ban TikTok. Do you think it's too popular to ban? Um, the TikTok CEO Shuzi Chu is set to tell lawmakers that the app is not an agent of China or any other country, and that banning TikTok would harm U.S. businesses and citizens. Um, the Biden administration is looking to threaten, is threatening to ban the app um, in the U.S. over fears that its Beijing-based owner ByteDance could pass user data to the Chinese government. So yeah, TikTok is is wildly popular. So I was just, I just don't think it's going to get done. I just don't think how, how you can ban it at this point. I mean, you can technically ban it, but would that happen? Can a competitor rise up right now and create something very, very similar? I mean, Instagram does have reels and different things, but could there be a native reel-like platform that comes up and blocks and, and is able to have this ban go forward? We'll have to see um, if that's possible. Moving forward, let's talk about the bank failures, big one being Credit Suisse. Um, and you guys all know I've notoriously worked there after business school and 
notoriously hated the bank, hated the people. And now the bank has gone under. Um, and the reasons being are kind of opaque, but we'll try to dive into some of them. They've actually had trouble for a while. Credit Suisse has pretty much been on the precipice of banks of collapse, been rumored to be on the collapse since like 2019, 2020. Um, they've been wrecked with scandals um, and major financial loss. One of the major financial losses was a trade that was done that lost them billions of dollars. Um, their talk executives resigned. There were spying scandals, ex executives spying on each other. Um, and they've had just, you know, they had laundering by a Bulgarian cocaine trafficking gang. They lost $7 billion in Swiss francs in 2022. It's the biggest loss in 20, 2008. So the management has been doing a horrible job, um, and they're just not a great bank. The wealth management division is probably their, their more stalwart um, division that does decently, uh, whereas their investment banking, their trade, and all that, not that well. But they were on the brink of collapse. Um, and their biggest shareholder, the deciding national bank, said that, hey, we can't increase funding to you guys because um, we're over leveraged on your position. So they said they won't help. So they were pretty much in a shotgun wedding. UBS was forced to buy Credit Suisse for pennies on the dollar, right? Like this, they were pennies on the dollar. They were bought for like $2 billion and they got $50 billion in funding from the Swiss National Bank. Um, so this was just a marriage Um that was forced by the bank because they were too big to fail. Um, but again, it's just showing another bank that effectively went to zero. They really went to zero. They were at a $40 billion market cap and two, three years ago. Now they were sold for like $2 billion, right? Bondholders got wiped out. Shareholders all but got wiped out. Um, and that again, UBS had to take on a pretty much effectively a grant from the Swiss government to consummate this deal um and so but again it was a too big to fail bank they pretty much nationalized um the bank there right and then it's just a big now it's just a big conglomerate backed by the swiss national government and and this is just a crazy situation people were there's actually an interesting thought on, on okay now that you know banks are in trouble they're gonna tighten their lending their lending right now they will tighten they'll be probably tightening their lending right now they may not lend as much to consumers and they'll be very careful in their credit risk in the short term, right? But what happens in the long term? Now that you know, if you know that your deposits are going to be backed by the government no matter what, are you going to be less risky or more risky? If you have, you already know you have a fall through. That is a scary part of this long term is understanding that banks, especially the US banks or in any bank, if you're too integral to the system, and you can't fail. Now, when you get these deposits, you just don't care because you know the government will back you up. So that's a scary thought for, for consumers going forward to understand that if banks will be less risky or more risky. So they, courtesy has gone down, good riddance, um, and good riddance to the people there. Um, if we move on to Pacific North, Pacific Western, another bank in trouble, no ties to this bank, but they're seeing that customers have withdrawn almost one-fifth other deposits at the start of March as a sign of the pan panic has hit regional banks following the collapse of SVP. The Los Angeles bank lender has taken steps to bolster its balance sheet. They raised $1.4 billion from investment firms and they borrowed $15 billion from the federal government. But they're in trouble because, you know, we saw the Powell Federal Reserve Chairman Powell's comments, but there's actually interesting comments from the the uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who said the government would consider backstop, backstopping other lenders. But then yesterday, she did say that there's no big plan in place to help 
every depositor across the country. And so that's actually what made shares trade downwards yesterday because it's, hey, hey, there's no big plan in place. Um, and so when tra- shares were trading up, they traded downwards after those comments. But you're seeing some regional banks being hit um, as people are just a little bit worried. And there's more bank runs that are coming up. Um, and you'll probably see a few more banks fall through um, just because of that fact, right? You'll probably see a few more fall through because of that fact. Um, moving forward to a short report. So for those who don't know, short is betting against a stock or a company or taking a position that the stock will go down. And Hindenburg Research is a famous um, company that shorts, a research investment firm that shorts different shares after doing their research, different companies. And they just did a short report on Block or Square, um, which owns obviously Cash App. Um, and so um, they just did a short report. And they, it was really interesting. I read through some of it. Uh, they did a two-year investigation and they claim, and they claim, they claim allegedly that Block has systematically taken advantage of demographics. It claims to be helping. Um, I said the magic behind Block's business has not been disruptive innovation, but rather the company's willingness to facilitate fraud against consumers and the government, avoid regulation, and dress up predatory loans and fees as regulatory revolutionary technology and misleading investors with inflated metrics. So it's interesting to read. They have about a bunch of points here. They said that, you know, uh, we could go through a few of them. Said that the core issue is. Um, it said that when users are caught engaged in fraud or prohibited activity, Block ba- blacklisted the account without banning the user. Um, they said that Block obstigates how many individuals are on the cash uh, cash app platform by reporting misleading transactive active transacting active metrics filled with fake and duplicate accounts. Um, and so they pretty much came out with a damning report um, about Block's activities. Um, and again, this is just their own opinion, right? And it's not advice to anyone. It's their own opinion. Um, and it's their own opinion outside. And, and, you know, they, they do this heavily with different companies that they deem to have issues, um, as well. Um, but the shares are down like, you know, pretty handily this morning, um, in the the early market trading, but it's interesting to see that the report, you know, again, no one can know besides Block exactly what's going on inside. The insiders would know that. Um, but they did come out with a report that was quite, quite damning. And and something you could flip through and read um, if you have um, a bit of time there. So let's get on to our question of the week. Question of the week is a favorite of the listeners. Um, always something that we go through here. I'm actually interested. This is a non-finance one. We're going to do two ones, one finance, one not. The first one being, how long does it take to get a tax refund? How long does it take? I would assume the average time to get a tax refund would be three, four weeks. Let's see. Answers between one week and two months, depending on how you file um, if you e-file direct deposit, it's one to three weeks. If you paper file and then you do direct deposit, it's three weeks. If you e-file and you receive your check in the mail, it's a month. And if you paper file and check in the mail, that is two months. So if you are a dinosaur, you will wait two months <laughs> to get that refund back. That's a good one. That's a good one as we go to tax. Remember, we're seeing a lot of people max out their IRAs, max out their contributions, 
And you are still able to do that up until August 2015, excuse me, uh, April 15th of 2023 for 2022 contributions. So for the prior year contributions, you have until tax day, tax filing deadline to do contributions for the prior year. So we're seeing so many of our over 430 clients get that done ASAP. Um, and it's a good thing to do. Another thing, your contributions are self-report. So you don't have to have a document that says I contributed, contributed the X amount. That's a self-reporting metric. Either you do it or if you're CPA, you said this is what I contributed for 2022. Um, we're able to see that easily. And then you also, in May, you get a 5498 form that just has a record of what you contributed as well. So that comes in May after the filing deadline, because that's the last time it'll be a month after everybody had a chance to contribute, but you don't need that to file. It's a self-reporting thing that you just self-report, um, just for those out there to understand, um, pretty, pretty good stuff. This is an interesting one about LinkedIn. What is the minimum age requirement to create a LinkedIn account? I'm going to assume 18, got to be in college. It actually might be lower. I don't, I've never seen a high schooler on LinkedIn. So I'm assuming 18. Oh, wow. It's 16 years old. So maybe there are a few high schoolers on there. Um, but yeah, it is 16 years old. Yeah, I would assume I, I got LinkedIn a long time ago, probably like in undergrad. Um, and it was, yeah, I don't know. It's been helpful. I don't, I don't know how helpful it is, but it's decent. It is decent enough. So those are our questions of the week. That is the updates of the week. So much going on. Remember, for those, share this with all people that you want to, that you think need to be hearing this interesting stuff, as well as make sure you get your contributions locked in for the prior year. It's almost the deadline to do so. Folks, we do this every week, and we'll be talking to you next week.